Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 320 for August 15th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about knowing when your planer and jointer blades are dull and torsion box assembly tables in small spaces. But before we get to. Yeah, let me try that again. <laughs> Good job, Mark. Uh, But before we get to all that, let's take a moment to talk about our supporters. We have a few of them to mention here. Zachariah Cinnamon, uh, Jason Rausch, and an anonymous donor who I will not name, but you know who you are, sir. Thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it. And if you want to help out too, you can. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column, and you'll see some donation links for small amounts, uh, recurring, single donations, whatever you want to do. Uh, We're like, you know, the little beggar on the side of the road with a cup out there shaking it. Uh, Alms for the poor please <laughs> sort of thing i don't know if i compare myself to that but you know i don't know whatever. man have you looked in the mirror lately you kind of have a little <laughs> bit of like homeless guy thing going on i got some old cardboard out back we will just kind of <laughs> write something on that real quick there you go what do you think good nice. i think All that'll right. work that'll work out nicely uh <laughs> by the way we might go see flight of the concords lately so i hope your singing voice is up to par all right anyway a little bit of a a distraction there um so what was it what the heck was i talking about oh yeah so if you do donate we will mention your name at the beginning of the show glad you know yeah Uh, and we'll probably make some stupid jokes and and totally get lost off of our script here uh because that's how we do it so i don't know if you noticed but um it's just me and matt this week and uh so that that should be interesting i think this is a first right uh, yes. Yeah, you and uh, Shannon have done a, a twofer show, and uh, of course, Shannon and I have done uh, shows by ourselves, but I don't think you and I have ever done one, so this might get this awkward. It's going to be epic. Uh, or just weird. Uh, all right. So, More likely. Yeah. So let's get to what's on the bench. Uh, I am messing with some grandfather clock parts, and <laughs> oh boy, are these suckers pricey. Uh, uh I got to tell you, man, I'm not sure that I would have picked this as a guild project if I really had a heads up and knew ahead of time just how much these parts were going to cost. So basically went to clock it, sort of tried to figure out because I don't know anything about clocks. What the heck do I know? I'm just a woodworker. Um, So I'm looking all over the website, trying to match up, you know, parts that would fit nicely into a set. And it's coming out to about $800. Um, That's a lot of money, you know, before you've even bought any wood. So it's making me a little bit concerned. Thankfully, I'll tell you what, um, like update from as of this morning, I don't know if anything's going to come of it, but I did receive a phone call uh, from someone in their PR area, I guess. And uh, they, because I contacted them, I sent them an email and uh, they said that they would like to talk to me about what we might be able to do. And I'm thinking, hopefully that's going to come into the form of like, a good discount, you know, just for, for guild members who are building along, let's, you know, I'm going to send you some business here. Let's see if we can't give these people at least a little bit of money back to make this a little bit more feasible of a project. So no guarantees there, but we'll see what happens. It's uh, again, 750, 800 bucks. Um, you're going to drop on these parts. I think if you're going to get decent stuff and that that's, that's quite, that's quite a lot of money. That's a lot to ask of people, right? Well, if they want to do like a little like extra bonus content, I'll drive down there and, uh, do a little video so you know what you're, why you're paying so much for them or something. Oh, kind of fun. that's not a bad idea. Like, what would, why is this stuff so expensive? Like, what, what are the components and, and what, maybe, I guess there might be really cheap stuff on the market and why you would want to avoid that. I don't even there, really see, like, cheap options on their website. And there, there could be, and especially with that clock stuff, like, there's so many different parts that, like, someone who's just coming into that, it's like, what is all this stuff? And it's, it's probably not practical for, like, you to do a video like that because they have to send you, like, a thousand little things that you're not going to use, but here's yeah. all the options you could have. Right. Like something kind of fun. They're yeah. like four hours from here. That's not too bad. 
down by my parents' house. I'll, I'll pay for the gas. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And maybe a lunch or something. Burger King. <sighs> Man, this is getting better and better. Yeah, don't eat expensive, please. Um, so anyway, that's that. That's coming up soon. And it's just made me a little bit nervous as I'm about to roll it out to guild members <laughs> and be like, all right, well, good news. It's only $800. <laughs> you know, and you too can build one of these. Uh, reminds me of the Rubo, right? But you know what? Oh, that that yeah. doesn't seem to stop anybody. Like That's, that's a bench, though. Like It is. People, I guess. Can, speaking, people can justify spending that kind of money on tools. That's just a tool. Yeah, that's a good point. It really is. Okay, fair. So the, what, you're, what you're telling mind, me is this is going to be the worst selling guild project ever. <laughs> well, see, the ones that are asking for it, they're going to buy like three copies, right? Yeah, they better. <laughs> At this point, it's their fault that I'm making it. Uh, so the other thing I've been playing with uh, in the shop, and I'm getting ready to do a little demo video on it, is Powermatic's new tenanting jig. And uh, by new, I think it was like released several months ago. I'm just a little behind getting to it. And uh, it's, it's quite an advancement in the world of tenanting jigs. If you have the thing you're using to make your mortise, right? So router bit or uh, what they recommend is like the hollow chisel mortiser. So you have that chisel. Um, it's using that as well as the workpiece itself to gauge the position of the jig components. So instead of doing like all these measurements and all this stuff, it's just very empirical. You're just kind of dropping the little mortising chisel in one place, setting a stop. Then you drop the workpiece in the next slot, set the stop, and then cut. And then your tendon just fits. <laughs> and if it doesn't fit, you have an initial round of adjustments that you could do to fine tune it. And within seconds, you've now got a, a perfect uh, sized tenon for that mortise with no fuss. And uh, it's very, very cool. I mean, the thing is, and to, I'm not sure how I'm going to address this in the video, but we could certainly talk about it here. Uh, in 2016, an advanced tenoning jig is a little bit of a tricky thing to put to the market. I mean, there's so many ways uh, that you can go into a mortise and tendon system, you know, that these things that exist out there from uh, the domino to beadlock to like uh, the Lee FMT and wood rat. There's like so many ways that you can get this stuff done. It's a little bit tricky in today's market for this thing to do well. So I, as, as a consumer, I'm just interested to see how this tenoning jig does. I mean, I'm going to demo it, but I'm probably going to stay away from speculating too much about, <laughs> you know, its marketing position. That's not really what I'm, what I'm here for. But uh, I mean, in your work, and you certainly do more traditional work, and that's where these tenoning jigs come into play is when you want a tradition, traditional mortise and tenon. Um, I know you also have a mortiser that you use. So are you inclined to use a tenoning jig in your work? I have one. It's been sitting under my router table for I don't know how many years since I bought it, I think. Mm -hmm. I th when I bought it, I think it was like maybe four years ago I bought the thing because that was a thing to have, right? You just got to have, have one. A, you got to have a tenoning jig. I think I used it one time. I just found it a little bit fussier, and I just went back to my using the dado stack, and that's about it. Yeah. Cross cut well, sled dado stack. Well, and I guess the justification is you're using, and at least for me, what I found is if you use a dado stack, if you're on a sled or even just on the, the table saw surface itself, a lot of times you can get a sort of variable result, you know, based on how much pressure you put down and how, um, how, you know, how much you're pushing on the workpiece. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't get it perfect every single time. So that variability leads to a tenon that's slightly variable, which is why. I've sort of adopted, you know, again, coining a term that didn't need to be coined, but the hybrid woodworking method, um, because I would have to tune those things so that they would fit yeah. perfectly after the fact, because there's this like plus or minus variance that happens just by nature of cutting with the dado stack at the table yeah. saw. So, so that's one of the cool things about a tenoning jig is that you don't have that really. Like it's, it's all locked in. All you're doing is you're the, you're the dummy that's pushing it forward and back. You can't really do anything to affect the results unless you change the settings on the jig. 
Or you mold your work pieces different thicknesses. Now that's the thing. That 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 is where the core, like you have to have your work piece be the same thickness as your tenon piece and your mortise piece have to be uh, the same across the board. If anything gets a little thicker or thinner, then this whole thing is out the window. Now I'm going to assume that most of us can do that. If you've got a planer, uh, you're probably running these pieces through. There's no reason that they shouldn't be all the same, uh, but that is certainly something to think about. Uh, but but in the end, I guess you know you get a nice clean cheek on it, and you know dado stacks are going to leave a rough cheek. I don't know how much that really matters. You know, like if you put a rough faced cheek tenon into a rough mortise, is it really going to be that much less strong than one that was nice and smooth? I don't know. That's for other people mm. who like to run those tests and make videos about them. I don't really care. I think they're both <laughs> going to be, they're both going to be strong enough, but the fact that it is smooth is telling you that you can really dial that setting in at like to absolute perfection so that all of your tenons fit right off the bat. And once dialed in, you could batch through a big project of, of tenons like it's nothing, you know? So I guess, so there's advantages to it, but I'll, I'll, I'll get into the, in the video doing a demo so you could see it. And bottom line is people are going to have to make a decision for themselves. I'm not going to tell them uh, what to buy or not to buy, but it is well, hands yeah. down like the best one I've used ever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I got, again, like I said, tough market right now, but I don't want to get to that, get into that in the video. <laughs> not my that's, job, man. That'd be tough for me too, because like with the whole variability thing, I, I do that. I, I aim for a tenon that's too big for the mortise. And I take it back to the bench and hit it with the shoulder plane or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it cleans up the dado marks and makes it fit perfectly at the same time. So I don't know. And that's not a bad thing to do, but multiply that by 30. You know, yeah. Maybe- I mean, if I was doing this giant, if I was doing a kitchen, I right. probably use my domino. What am I saying? Um, <laughs> that's, that just totally ruins the entire discussion. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. Um, I, let's I let's, let's live in a world. Uh, <laughs> pretend we're in a world the domino doesn't exist, and then let's have this conversation. Dowels. Where's my dowel jig? <laughs> yeah, where's the dowel jig? Where's my biscuit joiner? <laughs> Well, that's cool. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. I'll, I'll keep you guys posted on it. But uh, we're d- recording the show a little early, and I'm te- I texted Matt, and I'm like, hey, dude, let's do the show. He's like, oh, I'm not doing nothing, just putting together a bandsaw mill. <laughs> so what the heck is that about? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making progress on that. I posted a video this morning, just kind of like an introduction to the whole project. Um, it's kind of hard to make that interesting because it's literally just me talking for like 12 or 13 minutes. Sure. It's all like the initial information I have to get out there, like the how, why, and what i guess mm-hmm. so i did that and some ridic- ridiculously good feedback so far i think people are really excited about this um and i'm working on the track first um so it is made out of two by six by quarter wall thickness uh rectangular tubing and the cross members have holes drilled for stainless steel runners that'll actually support the logs and i'm drilling holes in the bottoms for leveling feet and I'm at the point now where I'm laying out the long rails to get those ready to have their holes drilled for their leveling feet. And then I should be ready to get the thing all ready for uh, welding. Nice. So this, that whole track is going to be just like when you built your torsion box assembly table. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be out there like, I don't know how many hours shimming the corners, getting those things perfectly parallel, getting <laughs> that whole thing totally flat. Yeah. Because if I can nail that for the flatness on that initial frame, the whole mill will be like, so much easier to put together and the logs will sit on nice and flat and my lumber will be flat. I don't have to worry about shimming the rails at all. Just be good right out of the box essentially. Yeah. So that's going to be fun time I think. Yeah, so totally worth the upfront time investment. Yeah, exactly. Sounds good, man. Can't wait to see it come together. That's pretty cool. Um, I wonder what Shannon's doing this week. He's probably sitting in that empty garage trying to build a workbench real quick so he can actually get something done. 
I think so. Yeah, he's at his what's he at his his mother in law's or his his in laws' house in Maine, right? That's main house, the main house, not not the uh, secondary or tertiary <laughs> house, but the main house. Yeah, Shannon's Shannon's from money. What can you do? <laughs> All right, well, let's get into what's new. We've got a couple things to share with you guys today. Um, this is one that I found in my inbox, and here's the thing. Big, long-time fan of the new Yankee Workshop, right? It's just one of those things where as I was getting into woodworking, um, it was that and Woodworks at the time with David Marks. And they were very, I mean, to contrast those two shows, very, very different approach, um, very different projects, and the personalities of the hosts were very different, but I loved both of them. And even though I never really built much in the way of new Yankee Workshop projects, I just loved watching it. Norm is just the kind of, like, who doesn't love Norm, right? He's like as likable as a person can possibly be. I don't know if he's like that in real life. I, I didn't meet him once. <laughs> shook his hand, and uh, and that was about it. I never washed my hands since. So there's probably that. go see him again. It's been a long time. Yeah. So I don't know if he's you know if he's nice in person, but he certainly strikes me as as a very nice guy. And uh, and I want to see them succeed. You know, I mean, uh, I, I think what they did is remarkable. Just over the course of what thirty years, I'm not sure sure exactly how long it was on the air. Um, but it's awesome, and I know that that show influenced a lot of woodworkers, even though today some new woodworkers might come along and never really hear about them. And I think it's too, you know, it just kind of sucks. So when I get an email from them, I go, whoa, what's going on here? Because they, really, <laughs> they don't really market themselves at all. And uh, so I get this thing. It says, friends, we've been busy digging into our vaults to put together weekly specials for you through the new Yankee Workshop. Our introductory offer is a historical season one at the workshop for a limited time buy. You basically get... Uh, three DVDs for the price of two. So essentially, I think the price would be 75 bucks and you're getting it for 50 bucks. And you get the DVDs as well as the, the measure drawings. Dra- the measure drawings that drawings. come along with them. Yeah. So I uh, looked into it and I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. But it still bothers me. And what bothers me <laughs> is the fact that, number one, you could probably, I haven't done the search, but you could probably find all three of these episodes on YouTube. And that bugs the hell out of me. I just wish someone in their camp would give a crap enough to go to YouTube and take those videos down. Um, because it's just, I understand it's like, this is what happens in the market. If you don't make it easy for people to buy what they're looking for, they will find another way. And it will usually be some illegal, some illegal way, uh, because (laughs) you didn't provide a cost effective means for them to get that thing. Right. So you still can't buy their stuff digitally, but you could watch it on their website once a week. I think they change it out and you could watch an embedded version. Um, and you could buy these DVDs. And like, what's a DVD? Who has DVDs anymore, right? If people are going to buy these, a lot of people are just going to want the digital files. Um, yeah, I have the DVDs, but you certainly should be allowing some kind of downloads. So anyway, I'm bringing this up as sort of a frustration FYI. If you're interested, <laughs> I'd love to see these you know, people be supported. And I love the new Yankee Workshop. So go there, check it out. If you're interested, go ahead and buy it. But at the same time, I'm expressing my sadness that they are just kind of ignoring the current state of things online and not even trying to adapt to the way business is done with online content at all. And really, frankly, they're just leaving tons, I mean, tons of money on the table. And not that I know anything about their finances, and I'm sure they're doing just fine, but it's still money that they could be making off of content that they worked really hard to produce. So it just makes me a little bit sad. I, I agree. Mean, have, have you, I mean, have you watched much of the New Yankee Workshop? Uh, I think I've watched all of them or close to all of them on TV or catching up online. Well, you know, online. Okay. Back in the day before they were, I think it was right after they went off air before they even online. So I think I found them all 
somewhere on the internet at some okay. point, like the whole every single episode kind of deal. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's the thing. It's like, uh, there's a whole new generation of woodworkers who could still potentially get something useful out of this who may never see it. And if they do, chances are they're looking at a bootlegged version of it. No one's going to give them, well, I can't say no one, but very few people are going to give them $50 for three videos. Yeah. Kind it's of, a little, little much for 20 minute TV show. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it was. That was yeah, 20, uh, 20 2022, something like that. And I think that yeah. actually the the versions they supply on DVD are supposedly like extended cuts. So I don't know if it, maybe it makes it to a full half hour or something like that, but still just bah, makes me sad. Sorry guys. If you want Hey, anyone wants advice. Um, I'm always open to give you some advice. Not that you, <laughs> free, free advice. <laughs> not that you want <laughs> advice from the wood whisperer, but uh, Hey, you know what? I might be able to help you make money and I'm sure they don't listen and nobody cares. Uh, all right. So um, I hope someone from them like sends you an email this week. Wouldn't that be funny? I've listened to Wood Talk, and uh, <laughs> so I was I was doing my weekly Wood Talk listen, and I uh, heard you disparaging our our marketing. <laughs> so I was on the can listening to Wood Talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh crap. Anyway, digging my hole uh, a little bit deeper. So tell me about rolling logs. <laughs> oh, this was shared with us over on Facebook by Matt. This is a video of basically they're like log rolling entertainers. Mm-hmm. So I. I don't. I don't have. I, I have pretty decent hand-eye coordination or hand-foot coordination or eye-foot coordination, whatever. But this is ridiculous. Yeah. These guys are up on these logs in the river, rolling them. They're just like standing there doing the standard roll, and then it starts getting like crazy. Like, let's do some handstands on these logs, and then and I guess even crazier. It's like let's ride a log down some rapids. Like he's like <laughs> in a, like a canoe, but standing yeah. on it. It's it ridiculous. is nuts. I mean, the the thing is, you look at it and you go. Like I skip to the middle when they're starting to do like the crazy stuff and yeah. <laughs> it doesn't like, you go, as that doesn't look too bad, but then you realize they're, they're not standing on a stationary log that's up on some <laughs> platform, right? They're in the water. This thing has like the tendency to spin mm-hmm. and yet they're doing all these acrobatics and like crazy moves on it. So yeah, extremely impressive. I mean, nothing to do with woodworking other than the fact that it's a felled tree. Hey, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. I think the email that we got, or it was on Facebook, right? Yeah, the, the yes. Facebook comment was something that this is um, Matt's logical progression, like the next thing for him to move on to from <laughs> getting logs yeah, for, for woodworking. I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so, man? I don't know. I think you'd be pretty good at it. Uh, well, maybe we'll see someday. Give it a shot. You know what? Actually, WIA, maybe we can get a pool into one of the uh, <laughs> oh, demonstration geez. rooms, throw a log in there. I mean, they bring in a log in for Roy to ch- chop apart on stage. Why not uh, a tank? full of water and put a log in it <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> i think that's uh, let's talk to megan see if she can make that happen maybe the, the hotel is a pool right i'm sure there you go dude. In there. we got oh, enough man. people in their hotels they should let us do that <laughs> i love it oh that would be great all right so we got a little bit of kickback here uh first one actually first two deal with the air conditioning uh commentary i had last time concerning the i guess it's called ptac not just PTAC uh, versus the mini split. Uh, Vic wrote in a good friend of the show, Vic Hubbard. I believe the guy inquiring about conditioning his space was in a humid climate. And I think he said like West Virginia or Virginia or something. The Mitsubishi M series is really cool because it has a dry mode. Often humid climates can be clammy if the units aren't sized correctly. If the, in the case of shops, it seems all too common that proper air sealing has not been done, which will exacerbate that situation. These units have the added benefit of acting solely as a dehumidifier in the dry mode. 
which mm. is fantastic. That's awesome. That's cool. I've, I've got Mitsubishi in my shop. I don't know if it's the M series he's talking about, but every time, this time of year specifically, if I run my air conditioner early in the summer, it's not too bad. But when the humidity picks up toward the end of summer, I look outside and my drains are just oozing water. <laughs> So these things are incredibly effective at dehumidifying a space while it's also cooling. Um, so I guess that just is another vote that the mini split is probably the way to go. Uh, this next one was from Hayden. He left a voicemail, but it was three minutes long and it also was very choppy. I think his connection was bad. But Hayden is a certified AC technician in Tampa. And uh, to sum up, he agrees with my advice. And he himself even installed a one and a half ton mini split system in his shop and loves it. But he says, just a word of warning, make sure you clean the filters frequently uh, because the filters on the interior units can get, you know, gopped up with sawdust and then you've, you've got some problems there. So hmm. keep them clean and these units will perform like a champ. Wow. Yeah. Good that stuff. Almost unanimous on the mini splits, which is cool. You were right. That's good. Good for you. I did my research. What are you going to do? <laughs> I know what research means for you. Yes. Um, <laughs> iPad on the toilet <laughs> for, for 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm done. Oh, you give me a long one to read, huh? Yeah. Right, this one's from Roger. Let's see how long it takes me to get through this. I have listened to several shows that talk about reactive finishes curing in the can before one has finished using it. I have found, as mentioned on the show, that pouring just the amount you need at the time and then shooting a good spray of argon gas into the can before closing it is the best solution. I had tried Bloxygen and it works, but the price seems high at $15 a can. So I went to my local gas supply company and purchased a medium cylinder, a gas bottle filled with industrial-grade argon, and an inexpensive helium balloon regulator gauge with a CGA fitting, uh, same as an argon CGA, and attached some plastic tubing to the nozzle. The total cost was $140. You can also rent the cylinders for about 2 or $3 a month. The refill cost is about $45. The cylinder holds 40 cubic feet. Um, the blockchain holds 0.23 cubic feet. So my initial investment, the cylinder argon costs $3 per cubic feet, and the refill cost is $1.13 per cubic foot. The blockchain costs $65 per cubic foot. I have used water locks over 6 to 9 months, opening a dozen times with no change in viscosity like new every time. Having the original version of viscosity and unreactive finish percent was a big plus for, the consider, for consistent finishing. I've been using the cylinder for four years, and it's half full. I'm even thinking about purchasing finish in gallon cans to save money, knowing that I have ample supply of argon to shoot into the can at every use. Hmm. You know, that was the name of my college band. Ample supply? No, virgin viscosity. <laughs> oh, we were pretty good. Oh. You should have heard us back in the day. That's pretty cool. That's that's a heck of an, inv uh, an investment, though, uh, up front. Like, you got to know that you're going to use this stuff a lot to, to put that into it. But if you have been using Bloxygen all the time, um, that seems like a pretty darn reasonable way to go and to have a set that's just going to set up that's just going to last for years. And, gee, $65 per cubic foot versus $1.13 per cubic foot. I guess that's that's the cost of convenience, baby. I guess if you have a, uh, a gas feed welder, you can just use that gas. That's what the same thing, right? Probably. I would suppose. I don't, I don't know. Some people may have reasons to have like CO2 in the shop or something that they might be able to, to utilize as well that's from something else. You know, that's like a good a, point. Like people who, um, I guess there's like gas that you can use for wine. And I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I think that's CO2. I don't, I don't know. But you might have some CO2 cartridges for other things that can be repurposed for that. So, yeah, cool stuff. Um, all right. So no voicemail today. And let's get right into our emails. 
Rich wrote in, he says, I currently own a planer and jointer that I purchased used from Craigslist a few years ago. Both are 90s model Delta machines, and I have been pleased with their performance. I've never changed or sharpened the blades and don't really have any idea when or if the previous owner did. These are the first jointer planer I've owned, so my question is, how do I know when I need to change or sharpen my jointer planer blades? Any tips you guys can provide would be appreciated. I'm a big fan of the show, and I've learned a ton from you guys. Thanks. Well, thank you, Rich. Uh, this is one of those things, you know, kind of like the table saw. How do you know when the blade is dull? And it's a relative question. It's hard to know if you haven't been there to experience it dulling along the way and to know what the sharp situation is. And I've done that before. You buy a used tool or used blade, you start using it and go, okay, look, it works pretty well. And you just get used to that being the way the tool works. And then finally, you know, years later you go, Hey, maybe I should sharpen this thing. And when you do, you go, Whoa, okay, this is how this thing is supposed to work. <laughs> you know? So I think it's a little bit tough if you don't have the journey, uh, you know, that, that you could rely upon, but ultimately these tools should cut fairly easily. So like on the jointer, wax the tables. same thing with the planer, wax the tables, take that out as a variable. Cause a lot of times if you get pieces that are binding or it's hard to push, it could be because the tables need to be waxed. So wax those up first. If pushing the workpiece, you know, while making, I don't know, 16th of an inch pass, uh, depth of pass on like the jointer, if that is hard to do, like if you actually have to strain, you're pushing down a lot with a lot of pressure, those blades are dull. Uh, and of course, if you're getting lots of chip out, tear out and burning, you know, those are things to look for as well. But most of the time, it's a feel thing in terms of how much pressure you have to provide to move it over the cutter head. Now, the same thing applies to the planer, but you're not physically doing it. If the pieces are getting stuck or you see them kind of like go cockeyed a little bit and the the, the pressure rollers aren't really gripping as well as they should, I mean, that could be another problem, but we're just talking about, you know, it having trouble feeding through. Um, that could be a sign as well. And a lot of times you might get a stall in the, the planer where it's just, you know, so bad things start slipping and then you wind up stalling for a second. You get that burn mark and a real deep divot and then it pushes through. So just keep an eye out for just general performance and things being difficult to push through the cutter heads. Uh, at that point, you know, they're definitely far gone past the point of needing to be sharpened. <laughs> like you don't want to get to that point if you can avoid it. Um, but if, if everything's just going through just fine, all the wood is coming out nice and clean. We're just talking about simple straight grain material. Um, you know, you probably don't need to sharpen them. Um, the last thing I'd recommend, which is probably the first thing you would do when you get the tool is inspect those blades. Take a look at them. You know, get a magnifying glass, look at the edges. Are they all clean? Is there any, uh, are there any chips out of them? Is there any ragged edges? And even, you know, don't go along the sharp edge, but just go perpendicular to the sharp edge with your finger and kind of see if you can feel that, that catch that you get with a really nice, sharp, razor sharp edge. If you don't get that and it just kind of feels smooth and rounded to some extent, then they probably need some work. So that's, that's really about it. Most of the evidence is going to be just, you know, as you're actually working with it and getting a feel for it. And hey, you know what? If you could find someone to sharpen them real quick for you, just go ahead and get them sharpened, you know, and then at least you have your your starting point to reference from as you go forward with these uh, these new tools. I'm done talking, Matt. Well, I don't know. Just letting you know. I never know with you. I should just text you when I'm when I'm like almost done. <laughs> T minus 15 jump seconds. In. Jump in. <laughs> yeah, you never One know thing- with me. <laughs> one thing I'll add to this too is I would just recommend just going out and getting a second set of blades. It's really convenient to have a second set anyway, especially yeah. if you're using, I'm guessing you have straight knives. Yeah, I think so. So get a new set of straight knives. They're going to be sharp out of the box and then you'll have those to kind of compare it to. And if you need to swap blades, you'll always have fresh knives there in the shop while the other ones are out getting sharpened. That's what I do for my planer. It works out pretty well. That's brilliant. And definitely, 
Definitely agree with you, Mark, though. It's if, if you're having any problems feeding it through, it's probably, they're probably pretty far gone already at that point. Yeah. The, um, the knives on my, I only have knives on my planer. My jointer has a spiral head. Um, and I can tell the difference in my planer because of just the cut quality. The feed mechanism net in those stationary planers is going to be able to push wood through pretty much regardless of how dull those blades are. So it really comes down to the cut quality for me. And with straight knives, it's pretty obvious. When they're sharp, I can go against the grain without any tear out, um, any kind of figure. It usually does just fine through there. Mm-hmm. But as they dull, you can really feel like, oh, there's a grain direction change here. I Now I know it's there because before it didn't matter. But yeah. It's totally one of those things, the more experience you get with the tools and the, the wood, you've just, you've run enough board feet through that you just know when something is like, well, that feels a little bit off. Yeah, you know, it's but kind of you- like using a chisel too. Yeah. You're like in the, when you first start using a chisels and you're like, do you think it's sharp? Yeah. And then, but it's not, but right. you think it is. <laughs> well, then <laughs> you use like, a friends and you go, oh, <laughs> this is what sharp feels like. And then you go to like a Lee Nielsen hand tool event yeah. and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same thing with the hand planes. You go, oh, okay, I get it. Now I know why people use these. <laughs> yeah, totally. That makes sense. Exactly like that. Oh, all right. This next one is from Michael. It says, hey, guys, for my first project, I want to build an assembly table for my workspace. The catch is my workspace is a two-car garage. It still needs to be a garage, but I'm not using it as a shop. Lame. I have a work... Lame. Lame. <laughs> That's your first problem right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a workbench and a 10-inch table saw that I inherited from my grandfather that, I, that are already taking up a good deal of one corner. So there really isn't room for me to have a, an assembly table set up. My question is, do you think it would be feasible for me to build one from ultralight MDF and put a French cleat on the back and hang it on the wall? My biggest concern is that taking it off the wall would throw it off the, would throw off the table's calibration. Second question, when using it, I plan to set it up on sawhorses. Any recommendation for either classical sawhorses or is that just a bad idea? So first off, I think that the biggest issue that you're going to have with this, and I don't, how light is ultralight MDF compared to regular MDF? I don't even know. I couldn't give you numbers, but it is significantly lighter. Is it? Okay, yes. good. Because if you're going to make it out of regular MDF, you're going to make it any like significant size, it's going to be ridiculously heavy. Yeah. So if it's light enough that you can actually lift up off the wall, um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the, the whole idea of the torsion box, though, is that it is um, really resistant to any kind of change um, in flatness and force. It's really rigid, so it doesn't really matter what surface you set it down on. It's always going to remain flat. That's the beauty of the torsion box. So one of the things that I have going on with my assembly table is I have it on a base, but I do not have it attached to the base. I set it up that way so I can take that table outside, put it on sawhorses, and have a dead flat work, fit, works, well, bleh, work surface outside of my shop so I could do like router sled outdoors and keep all that mess outside. Now, mine is made out of regular MDF. It's three foot by five feet, and it is, I think it's four inches thick or five inches thick. It's heavy. It's, mm-hmm. like, ridiculously heavy. Um, so if the ultralight MDF is light enough that you can actually carry that thing around, um, I say go for it. Um, putting it on sawhorses is just fine. I don't really have any good recommendations on collapsible sawhorses. I have both the cheap plastic ones. You get, like, a pair of them for 10 bucks, and I think I've broken them all, and they're kind of rickety already. I've also built a set of them that I built, like one of the first things I built back in the day because I thought, hey, everybody's got to have sawhorses, right? I got to build sawhorses before I can do anything. Of course. So I, I built sawhorses because obviously that's what woodworkers do, we build sawhorses. And um, they work just fine. I don't know. I think anything that you can put it on that's relatively stable um, is going to work out just fine. And that's the thing I like about the assembly table like that is you can put it wherever you want. 
and it's going to be nice and flat and perfect every time. Yeah. And I would say even an ultralight version of it is still going to be heavy. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of density in there, you know, like by the time you put that whole grid work together and oh, the two skins yeah. on the top and it's usually what, like four by four, which is, you know, an extremely awkward sort of shape when it's four inches thick. <laughs> you know? So trying to wrangle that thing around is definitely problematic, but I had to roll mine in a sense, like yeah. on edge, roll it, flip it over single yeah. times, get to go. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no, like I could probably pick it up if it was like smaller right? and like not so awkward to like grab a hold of, but no, not when it's that big. See, and I thought I was smart when I did mine. I was, I had to move it at one point. So I used, um, you know, just like a, not a furniture dolly, just a regular hand truck. Um, mm-hmm. And that actually worked. So I'm moving the hand like, yeah, look at me. And then I got it there and now it's leaning up against the base that I had built for it. And I'm like, <laughs> well, what now? Uh-huh. <laughs> you lean it yep. up against the base and you go, all right, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say the physics of this situation are against me at this point. If I only had a, a lever. <laughs> I, had, I had exactly the same, same situation when I finished rolling my table over to my sawhorses. I'm like, all right, it's here, but now how do I get it up there? Yeah, I mean, as a one-person uh, operation, it's like, well, I guess I'm waiting until my stepdad comes over because <laughs> I ain't going any further with this thing right now. That's the difference between you and me. You say that, I say, this will make for some entertaining content. There you go. Turn the camera on and, uh, you know, watch all the chiropractors get excited. It's <laughs> <laughs> about what's going to happen. Oh man. Oh dude, you want to, speaking of a stupid thing, just like thinking of things we do on camera that I almost had a really dumb thing happen today in the shop. I was messing with that tenoning jig. Uh, is uh, quite honestly, first time I'm back in the shop cutting wood in a couple of weeks. So my brain's not a hundred percent there. <laughs> so I go to make my first test cut and I don't know if you guys are familiar tenoning jigs. You kind of clamp them to the, 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 this big wide face of the jig. So your workpiece is actually passing over the blade vertically, which would otherwise be extremely dangerous. Um, so I go to, um, to, to make the pass. And as it contacts the blade, the piece tips forward and I see it go. So the first thing I do, and this is, I guess, you know, lucky to have a little bit of like quick reflexes on something like this. But as soon as I saw it start to move, I jumped to the left and I got out of the way. And I didn't even turn the saw off. I just got the hell out of the way. (laughs) And I'm looking. And then as soon as I was out, I then leaned over and kind of, while I was like bent down, hit the uh, off button with my hand and waited for it to come to a stop. What an idiot. I didn't clamp the workpiece to the jig. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know. So it actually did. Like it did contact the blade. Thankfully, the clamp is kind of in a fixed position. So it was close to the workpiece and kind of held it from toppling over. But still, this thing could have been that that could have been a bad day for for Mark. That was just <laughs> that was the wake up call to be like, all right, dude, maybe have another cup of coffee before you come back in the shop. Maybe, cl- maybe clamp your work. You know? Maybe use the included clamps on this not to make an example out of yourself. Since so, yeah. we're talking about fubs, uh, I was drilling the the cross members for the sawmill mm-hmm. and those cross members are 70 pounds a piece. And I was using my drill press and a roller stand. and I was drilling a hole like I think it's like an inch and a half in from the end. OK. And this roller stand is really crappy and really cheap. And I had the piece of steel that kind of scooted over to like one end of the roller stand. So it had a lot of like torque force on it. The roller stand went over and then the whole piece of steel went over and then the drill press went over with it. Oh, man. And it was like, it was exactly like that. Like the steel went over. It was like, I caught the steel, but then I'm like, I slowed the steel down. I'm like, okay, maybe it's not going to be that bad. Then I'm like, oh yeah, it clamps the drill press. So as I like realized I have the steel in my hand, I'm like, here comes the drill press. Like, I'm out of here. Yeah. 
you got to know your limits, right? Oh, like, all right, goodbye. <laughs> that, that, I, that's if anything in woodworking, especially big power tools, if there's one lesson you could learn and really just lock away in your brain for those instinctive moments is to get the hell out of the way. Like uh-huh. it, worst case scenario. I mean, I've, I've, this has happened with tools like you're describing. I remember when we were moving tools at one point, if, if something look, looks like it's going to go, it is not worth putting your body in between it and the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's a bad, bad idea. <laughs> Get out of the way, let it do what it's going to do and then go back and fix it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Good, good safety tip from the wood talk guys. Yeah. Get the Get heck out, out of the way. way. <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can. You could set up a recurring or a one-time donation over at woodtalkshow.com. You could also pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And I think we might drop a little bit of a, a teaser nugget here. Um, I think <laughs> I think we're about to launch our Patreon campaign. And uh, we've kind of hashed out. Yeah, I know, right? I, surprise, Matt. About this? <laughs> Matt's just now finding out about this on the show. Uh. You're going to have stuff to do, by the way. So uh, it's important that you know. Uh, but yeah, we've been hashing out the details for uh, quite a while now, just trying to see what we wanted to do, how much we wanted to get involved in this sort of thing, because I've been pretty resistant about it up to this point. But I think it's a, a good program, and it's an easy way for us to let people get involved, give them something back, and not have to kind of like homebrew the entire end-to-end solution for how you deal with people who are, are signing up for something like that. Um, everything's being handled by Patreon, so it does make it a little bit easier. So listen up for that next week. Um, maybe even this week we'll we'll announce it off the show and then and have the big announcement on the show itself in this way if you want to sign up you can we'll have some cool stuff and, and honestly we we all want to do more with this show and having this system in place with goals set up might allow us to do that um to get to, to certain goals where we do more content that's what it comes down to and uh, i think that'll be pretty cool so we'll talk more about it next week uh just another thing you could do if you want to help us out, go to iTunes and leave us a review. Look us up in the store and click on ratings and reviews. Give us a five-star rating if you don't mind. We always appreciate that. But uh, Brody8888 says, good for the drive. Great collaboration covering a wide range of woodworking topics. Beware, they don't know Jack about wood turning. <laughs> Keep up the good work, boys. <laughs> Looking forward to more details about this, the bandsaw mill. I wanted to read that now because Shannon's not here to defend himself. Because uh, I think Shannon's probably he does have the most lathes between us. He does, and he also is the the person who's talked about turning the most uh, on That's the true. show. I, I have never really touched it on the show because I don't do enough of it, and I, I think you're probably in the same boat. You just kind of you know turn when you need to turn. The wood spins, the tool cuts. You know, yeah. Uh, it's- you know, that's about it. It's not rocket science. I mean, you want to be good at it and really be artistic at it. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of rabbit holes you could dive down into. But when it comes to building furniture parts, there's just not that much to it. And I guess that's why some people, you know, I guess like us, don't necessarily get sucked into that world uh, of wood turning. But other people who get into the vessels and crazy stuff you can make the, um, you know, David Marks of the world. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh. Right. Just amazing artistic uh, things that they make on the lathe. I mean, I'm glad they do it. I don't want to, but it's, it's you know, it's very, very cool stuff that you could spend the rest of your life trying to perfect. But anyway, so if, uh, if you don't think that Shannon knows anything about wood turning, um, well, there's nothing he could do to defend himself today. So Brody's comments will stand un- with, uh, with no rebuttal until next time when Shannon comes on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know something, something about too. turning. <laughs> I made lathes. Uh, anyway. All right. Um, Shannon's not here to do it. So, Matt, why don't you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. Questions, comments, or topic suggestions? You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. 
Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form over at woodtalkshow.com slash contact or leave us a comment on our website at woodtalkshow.com. And don't forget to check us out individually at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Yeah, baby. Woo. Good stuff. We survived. Woo. I think we you did a me. good job. So, you know, ah. the, you know how one person last time you and Shannon did a show together, they complained and said that, you know, and this is what the inside joke has been about for the last few weeks about how I <laughs> repress Matt so that when I'm not around, Matt talks more. I wonder if we're going to get the same feedback about Shannon now. Um, I would I would definitely say so because uh, I did talk more because there were, you know, fewer voices. I think you reduce hosts by one. It's only natural that the other two will talk more. So I, I would agree with that. I have done the math extensively and that's my determination at this point well good stuff all right well it was good hearing your voice more than usual matt and uh, i guess we will catch you guys next time see you everybody